Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Good morning. How are you? It's good to see everyone here today. Now let's turn in our Bibles just quickly to Revelation. We're going, we're going to go to Revelation 12, 17. As soon as you get next to the chapter 13, you know that we're getting close to uh, some diabolical plans of the evil one and what he plans to do on this planet. Now, uh, I don't assume that what I'm going to be talking about today uh, that people here are ignorant of. I, I'm assuming that a lot of you have know what I'm about to say. But what I'm going to try to make sense of is how it how it is all designed. What is this system that Satan has set up? How can we sort of visualize it in a sense? Right? I want to see that because then we can get a real clear picture of where we are and 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 uh, what the church is and just what the church is up against and the levels of, of uh, evil that we're up against. Okay, so let's have a look at this scripture that I've chosen just as, as one to start with, Revelation 12, 17. And it says this, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and some people believe the woman is Israel, um, and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Now who are her offspring? It says this, those who obey God's commandments... So it's not necessarily those that call themselves Christian. It's those that obey the commandments, so the holy Christians, the Christians that are living by the book, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. They, they hold to the gospel. They hold to faith in that. They don't let anyone come and tell them that that isn't true, that part is false, or you're deceived if you think you know, hell is real or something like that. It's those that hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we know from that scripture that the dragon was enraged. He's enraged. He's passionately angry with us. Right? 2,000 years, if anyone has read Fox's Book of Martyrs, we know for 2,000 years that the holy ones, the saints, those that follow the commandments of Jesus Christ, have been passionately persecuted. And killed and martyred. We know that if you've read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I have, um, it's it's a truth that you can't deny. Now we know that from this scripture, he's enraged and he's going to make war. He's making war. Now we have to know what that war, how he is waging that war. How is he doing it to us? What is he? And he's not just doing it to us. He's doing it to everybody because he doesn't want anyone to come to believe in Jesus. And who knows, we live in a city where it's not very popular to believe in Jesus. You know, no one wants you to believe in Jesus. When you tell them you go to church, they sort of ignore that one. They go somewhere. You know, people say, what do you do, Rob? And I say, well, I'm a piano teacher, but I'm also a pastor. Oh, you teach piano, do <laughs> They never go into the pastor one. And I say, well, yeah, I'm a pastor as well. Oh, really? What sort of music do you teach? You know, so anyway, that's just the way it is in this world, uh, in this city. I won't read that bit yet. Let's now, in my research for this sermon, I, um, I resorted to a book that I started writing about four years ago, <clears throat> which never got published, but it's a book that I call The Powers That Be, The Powers That Are In Place In This World. And I wanted to write that book because I believed uh, that the church is, to the most part, is totally ignorant of what's actually going on. And, you know, if we're, if we're in a war and the war is a, a war for souls, then wouldn't it be wise, if you're a general in an army, to know what your enemy's doing? It'd be wise to know what he's doing so that you can counter what he's doing. Because if you, if you just go into a battle, you know, imagine today if you just think, okay, we, we don't care what our enemy's doing. Uh, we'll just go into battle. We put on some armor and we grab a sword. And you run into battle and they pull out a gun. Wouldn't that be a bit intimidating? 
you know, you try to deflect the bullets with your sword or something. You know, you'd be completely, completely uh, done over by the enemy. You need to know what the enemy's doing. Now, when I started researching what the enemy's doing, it is absolutely, how can I put it? It's diabolical for the first thing. Secondly, it is such a mess or a web of stuff that he's got set up here in this world that it's just mind-blowing. Who knows what I'm talking about? When you start to research it, it just does your head in a lot of the time. It's mind-blowingly complex. He's done it through every strata of society. Every single part of our, the culture that we live in has been infiltrated with Satan. And this is the funny thing is nearly everybody's ignorant of it. Nearly everybody doesn't see it. But the moment you start researching into it, looking into what he's up to, then you start to realise that the word of God is true. The Bible tells us this. And I'm just going to show you where, just, uh, and I'm sure most of you know the scripture, but those that don't, just turn to Revelation again. Go back to Revelation, uh, this time 13. And we'll go to verse 16. Revelation 13, verse 16, and it's a very... Uh, it's a very well-used scripture among conspiracy theorists and truth seekers. Verse 16, it says, He also forced everyone, small and great. Now, this is talking about the world system at the end of days. He forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. So what he's saying is everyone. There's no one that's going to be exempt from receiving this, except the Christians. And uh, it might mean um, that the Christians will actually be killed if we re reject it. At first it will be offered to us and, and many people, I reckon 50% of our society will just take it willingly, but then it will get down to the wire, you know, and those that don't receive it will start to get beheaded. To they were forced to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy a unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then it goes, if anyone has insight, this calls for wisdom, so we must have wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for his man's number. His number is 666. Now, I'm not going to go into the depth of that, but all we need to know is that it's a world system. A world system that's going to get set up, and everyone in the whole world is going to be brought into this thing. And uh, now, as I was researching for this, I opened up my old book that I started to write, and it was called The Powers That Be. And as I read it, I thought, you know what? I'm going to read this introduction that I wrote four years ago. I'm going to read it to you today and probably give you a running commentary as we go. Because I think it encapsulated everything that I needed to say today. Okay? So I'm just going to read from it just to, uh, and then we'll talk about it as we go. I believe that it is imperative to make Christians aware of the powers of darkness operating on this planet and their agenda for us as a human race and expose them for who they really are. I believe I should do this to aid the church in praying against these powers that be as well as to bring the church up to speed with Satan's initiatives. We need to know this because, you know what, there's prayer intercessors in the church, uh, Christians that are set apart by God to intercede. And you know what? If they don't know this stuff, how can they intercede effectively and pull down the strongholds of Satan? We need to know this so we can pray better. When you're in private prayer, you can start praying against these powers. And God's given us the power and authority to actually do this. So without knowing the truth in relation to these matters, the intercessors of the church will not be able to truly attack the strongholds of the enemy, of the evil one. We have been given divine authority to dismantle the demonic powers in the heavenly realms, but, the, but as the scripture says in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed through or from a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. You know what? The church is, has been destroyed in the 20th century, in the 21st century, due to a lack of knowledge. Ministers are too afraid to get up and speak about this stuff. That's, that's why we don't hear people, uh, ministers preaching about repentance anymore because they feel that's a bit too hard on the flesh of most people. They don't speak about uh, hell anymore. They don't warn people that hell is real. And I, I believe in that, that a lot of ministers don't even believe in hell. 
Yet the Bible very clearly speaks about hell. Actually, Jesus spoke more on hell than he did about heaven. So isn't it important that we focus on the things that Jesus felt was important? I believe so. If we shirk it, if we ignore it, if we reject it or whatever, or walk away from it and just refuse to, uh, to you know, go anywhere near it when we preach, what we're doing is we're just giving people you know, uh, what I call gospel candy. You know, it's not the truth. It's a watered-down version of the truth. Therefore, what happens is Christians don't become powerful in the community anymore. Christians are actually the pushovers. Christians become laughed at as the ignorant ones. You know? And the, the obvious result of that is the church has no power anymore. The power is not in the church. If you look back at the first century, what did the book of Acts tell us about the first century church? They had power. They saw the dead raised. They saw people healed. You know, they saw incredible things taking place. Now, I'm sure it's happening in certain parts of the world. There's, there's pockets of Christianity where God's moving in that way. But no, I believe we're going to see it on a worldwide scale. I believe that the harvest, Jesus says, the harvest is the end of the age. And what happens at the end of the age? If there's a harvest, that means it's a gathering in of the souls who are going to turn to Jesus. So I think we have a lot to do as Christians. We have a lot to become as Christians. You know, there's, there's a lot of changes that have got to take place in us so that we can be effective, so that Jesus can say, yes, I can use this person, I can empower this person, I can entrust this person with the full powers of the kingdom. Before, the way he was before, you know, I can't entrust him. But here now, I can entrust him with the powers. And that's what I believe God's getting this church to, is moving us slowly, steadily towards being trustworthy with the gospel so that he can say, yes, I'll pour out my spirit unlimited. Amen. God said... In Isaiah 8.12, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Who knows that David Icke teaches a bit of anti-Christian propaganda. He teaches some good stuff, but he also teaches that Christianity is bad, as does uh, the Zeitgeist agenda. I think it's just called Zeitgeist, this this documentary that came out, and it really attacked Jesus. It had some good stuff in there as well, some, you know, typical conspiracy theories that you hear, you know, a lot of people are teaching, but he went and attacked Jesus. He actually threw Jesus in on the bad side, and that's where they fall. So we don't call conspiracy what everyone calls conspiracy. We must look uh, upon conspiracy theories as just that, theories. Not take them seriously unless they are said from the horse's mouth. We've got to hear it from the horse's mouth. We want to hear the leaders of the world say there is going to be a new world order. And have we heard it? George Bush Sr., he said it, didn't he? They're all said it. Obama said it. They're all talking about it. You know, back when Barry Smith used to preach on this stuff, no one was talking about it in, the, in government circles, or they probably were in private But now it's coming from the horse's mouth, right? It's announced to the world. So when it's coming at that level, I think we better take it seriously. Amen? I do not, however, take this scripture that do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. I don't take that to mean uh, that there are no conspiracies taking place on earth. As long as Satan is on this earth, there will be conspiracies against humanity. He is the conspiracy against humanity, isn't he? What humanity does not realise, though, is that they themselves are being used by Satan to act out these conspiracies unbeknown to them. They are pawns in a large chess game that no one but the elite in this world can see and play. Humanity is being used like pawns in a chess game. The elite are using them. Satan and his hordes are using them, and most people don't know they're being used. You know, even the church has been used by Satan and has been directed along a path that it doesn't really want to, or should not be going down. It doesn't realise it's going down that path, and 
should not be going down that path. And I believe we have to be very, very careful. And you know what? I know from the moment I start preaching this sort of stuff and I, it goes up on the internet, I know that I'm you know, in Satan's sights. I'll draw attention to myself. But does that mean I back down? Does that mean I don't preach it like all the other ministers? No, it just means that we've got to be very, very careful, you know. And I thank God that I've got Sharon praying for me in relation to that. Keep, lift, lift us up in prayers, you know, to protect us. Lift the whole church and cover it over us by God. Up until now, we've been letting Satan get away with a disastrous amount of evil on this planet. Unbeknown to us, he has infiltrated every layer of society, from politics to the business world, education, media, entertainment, the internet, science, religion, the church, music, and of course, you know, narcotics and alcohol, uh, sport, everything infiltrated. There's more than that. That's not an exhaustive list. What I'll be discussing here, I do not want you to just accept as truth or reject as not true. I don't want you to accept ever what I say is absolute truth. I want you to go home and do your research. If, let it spur you on. And if you can say, hey, Rob, I think you got it wrong here, I love that. I love to know which way is the right way. If there's some more evidence that you can come and correct me with, um, I'd like to hear that. Right? Because I, I know we are all sort of, you know, regularly receiving a lot of information. I know nearly everyone here watches videos and, and about this sort of stuff all the time. Now, just one little side note, just before I go any further with this. This sort of a, a, a sermon, I will probably only do around 10 to 15% of the time. Probably 10% even. The reason I do that is because I don't think that it's healthy as a church to be focusing on this sort of a thing all the time. So I, I, I think more 75% of the time I will focus on doctrine and living a holy Christian life. And I think that's the most important thing that we can be focusing on as Christians because that's where we get changed. That's where we become Christ-like. That's where Christ can move in us. But I also don't think we should be ignorant. So 25% of the time I like to focus on stuff like this and also apologetics. Um, because I think we should all know how to defend the gospel. Just as Matthew preached an apologetic type communion today to focus on, you know, evidence for believing that the cross was a real event, etc. You know, So I think 25% on that, 75% focus on the doctrine. And if you can even keep that in your own life as well, don't let yourself get swept up to the point that you're spending 100% of the time looking up conspiracy theories. Because it can really do your head in. It can... It can fill you with fear, it can grip you to such a degree that you just about lose all hope. Because your eyes become based on this world and this life, and all the evil that is surrounding you. But we've got to get our eyes on eternity. We've got to focus on Jesus. Amen? So, this is, anyone who follows my podcast, my videos, they'll know that this is an out of the blue sort of sermon. It doesn't happen all the time. But we like talking about it after, don't we, in the fellowship? Yeah. All right, so now the good thing about this day and age is what was called conspiracy theory in the 1970s, we have now documented proof for. It's now what I call conspiracy fact. Questionless. I have found that most people, Christians included, generally never question what is occurring around us on a daily basis. They choose to remain ignorant because it's easier to make uh, and it makes life not seem so harsh. If you're ignorant, as they say, ignorance is bliss, right? In one degree, that it is nice to be ignorant. But you know what? I, as a Christian, we have a responsibility to humanity. And we can't remain ignorant. We must know what's going on. Even if it freaks us out at times, we must know the truth. Amen? But this attitude has only served Satan in his quest to bind up the human race into an inextricable snare and oppress the masses. You know, we don't see it as much here in Adelaide, but there are countries around the world that are so oppressed that the people are so bound up, they, they have no food, they have no clean water, they are living a life that, you know, we, we couldn't dream of. 
And you know what? The elite have so much wealth, they could beautify the, the world ten times over. They could give their, let there be enough food for everybody. You know, hundreds of thousands of times more than what, what we're producing now we could produce. The world is not dreadfully overpopulated. It's underpopulated. It's just that there's a hoarding of wealth. And this is the problem. See, when Jesus returns for that thousand years of peace... It's going to be the most beautiful time because Jesus isn't going to hoard wealth. Jesus is going to make everyone wealthy in the sense of have everything they need. And it's going to be be the most beautiful time. Anyway, Satan has bound up the human race into an inextricable snare. We must not let our ignorance and denial of what is taking place in this world lull us into apathy, futility and ineffectiveness. And that is what is happening in the church. In in the beginning, Adam was told to take care of the garden, wasn't he? He was told to take care of that. He was the caretaker. And likewise, we Christians are meant to take care of our gardens, meaning keep Satan from deceiving us and and thus having it taken away from us, just as Adam had the garden taken away from him. We don't want to lose what Jesus has given us because we don't protect it, because we don't you know, uh, approach life with wisdom. You know what I'm saying? There's a very real chance. Jesus says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? There's a very real chance that many are going to turn away from the faith. Actually, does the Bible tell us it will happen? What does the Bible call it? Apostasy. Right? Apostasy. Or the rebellion. Yeah. So I believe we're heading towards that day. Who, who can say it? Who can say it? If, if your faith in Christ is all about prosperity, if you think that you, you become a Christian so you can be prosperous and then you're not prosperous, actually you're the complete opposite, you end up in the gutter. Would you turn from Jesus and say, this is enough, these guys are persecuting, laughing at me, persecuting me, laughing at me, and I'm, I'm poor. I've got nothing. And that's what Jesus has done for me, yet I was promised wealth and prosperity. You would give up the faith and walk away from a faith like that. But is that what Jesus promised? What did he promise? Persecution, tribulation, hardship. And we're supposed to rejoice in these. Isn't that interesting? Rejoice in tribulation and hardship and suffering. Okay. So our gardens, our hometowns, our cities, do you think, do you, how do you think the church is going at the moment? That's what you think about. You don't have to answer me, but how do you think the church is going at the moment? Are we winning our city for Jesus? Is the church doing awesome in Adelaide? Are we, is this place just, are we turning it upside down for Christ? What would Paul do if he was here? Do you think he would slap us around a bit? I think he would. I think he would come and kick us up our own. So what are you doing? Get out there and win souls. Turn this city upside down for for the name of Jesus. Paul turned towns upside down. Wherever Paul went, persecution came upon him heavily because the whole place knew he walked up. Everyone knew he was there. His reputation preceded him to a degree, but he would walk in and the moment he opened his mouth, man, that city would get shaken to the core. Something's got to change big time in us. Because I believe that's what we're called to. I believe the last day's church is supposed to be that. For a great harvest of souls. If the harvest is the end of the age, that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be Paul-like characters. Turning our city upside down for the faith. Now, you know what? As I'm saying this, you know what's in the back of my mind? You know what I hear? Is Rob, you can't, you can't do that. You haven't got that in yet. You can't achieve that sort of thing. And I'm, and I'm, I'm agreeing, you know, in myself, I can't, I can't. Do that. I can preach a message like this, but that going out there and turning Adelaide upside down for Jesus is another story altogether. But then there's another voice that says, Well, if you're looking at yourself, of course you can't see that take place. If we look at ourselves, if we if we measure ourselves by ourselves, you know, but we're gonna to look to Jesus, haven't we? And Jesus will enable us to turn Adelaide upside down. Or at least turn our families upside down. At least get our families saved. 
You know, in some cases, at least get your kids saved. Or kids, at least get your parents saved. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we've got to start looking a little bit deeper things and take our Christianity a little bit seriously. That's not a word. More seriously. Um, most Christians fail to truly grasp the power that has been given us by way of the cross. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. We have power to demolish strongholds. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, let's turn there because I want you to highlight it, mark it, read it, date it. All right, we're all there, 2 Corinthians 10.3, and it says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's a fair bit of power in that scripture. I'm not going to go into it. I just want you to know we have power in the name of Jesus. We have authority while we are living uh, to police the heavenlies. That's our job. We are to police the heavenlies. But how can we police a power that we are not even aware, uh, uh, not even aware exists? How can Christians who believe that they're there fighting this spiritual warfare make warfare with something that they don't even realize is there? They just make warfare against Satan all the time. But now there is a hierarchy of power in the world and it's set up and it's in the physical in the sense that these spiritual creatures are controlling physical entities, physical organizations. If we remain ignorant of the enemy's schemes, then ultimately our ignorance will bite us and even devour us. Do you know how many uh, people have been persecuted over in the past centuries and they were taught that they would not have to go through that and they have suffered great losses? The church has suffered tremendously. Corrie Ten Boon said in, in China there was a great persecution that broke out and all the pastors came to her later and said, sadly, Corrie, we failed. We should have prepared people for persecution rather than told them that they'll escape it. You know, we're living in an age where no one is being prepared for any kind of persecution but the opposite. They're told the actual opposite. But is that the truth? From all my research into the powers that control this world, there is only one power that, that this tyrannical force fears. There's only one power in the, on this earth that this force that is controlling the planet fears. And that power is an enlightened, an awakened praying Christian. Satan fears praying Christians. So if you set your heart to pray, expect it's going to be tough. Expect it to be very, very tough. Because Satan does not want you to pray. He does not want anyone to come to know Jesus. He does not want anyone truly converted through repentance. He doesn't want anyone to become holy. Because the longer he can maintain that in the church, that, that, that balance of weakness, he doesn't have to worry about the church. He's afraid of an awakened church. If the church awakens in Australia, look out. But at the moment, we are in a deep, deep sleep. I think us as a church, we're waking up. Our eyes are opening. But you know what? We can be awake for a few hours here on church on a Sunday and then sleep the rest of the week. You know? But as the church wakes up, look out. In Ephesians 1.18, I want you to read this as well. So if you can turn to Ephesians 1.18. It's a little bit forward of Corinthians if you're still there. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prayed, and it says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. See, he prays for our hearts to, to be enlightened, that we may know the hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power. He prays for great power, that we would know it, we would receive it and become it. For us who believe, that power is for us. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. This is how powerful that power is. 
the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the power that Jesus or God exerted through Jesus to bring him up is a power that's available to us today. And you can hear me say it and you can just about immediately doubt, can we even have that power? And then you've got other people that think they have that power but there's no evidence for it. And that's why I question whether Christians today are truly baptised in the Holy Spirit. Whether they have truly been baptised because Jesus says you receive power when my Spirit comes upon you. So if you haven't received power, if all you do is speak in a, in a, a tongue of angels, I believe we've got to question the doctrine around that. Because it's not the tongues that we should be looking for for evidence, it's the power. Amen? And I believe that has been one of Satan's, you know, best tricks of the 20th century. Is make everyone believe they have it, but they don't really have it. I'm standing in opposition to a huge portion of the church when I say that. Because how many Pentecostal Christians believe they have the power, but when there's no evidence of power? You know, how many prayer meetings, healing meetings I've gone to where people, the greatest miracle I've seen in, in many meetings was that a lady would say her headache is gone. You know, they get a headache. Yeah, I know I've heard of people that have seen, you know, limbs grow and they've seen things take place. I'm not doubting because I know God is a miracle working God. God does do amazing things. We've been praying for people to be healed from uh, cancers and things and we've, we've seen some things take place. But I'm talking a power where you can walk down the street and someone is standing there, a complete atheist, and you can pray for him and that person will have the most amazing thing take place in, in his life, like a limb grow or something. Or you walk into the hospital and every room you go in, you pray for you, that person raises up and is healed. Wouldn't that be the evidence that you have the power of the Spirit? You know, John G. Lake, this is one guy that I... Now, if, if the biographies are true about that man, he did some remarkable things in Jesus Christ. And he went into places, he went into the hospital, they actually hooked him up. Uh, sorry, hooked up a patient who was sick with some sort of uh, illness, hooked him up with all these, you know, suctiony cup things, whatever you call them, and, and were testing what is going on in, the, in this person's body when John G. Lake began praying for him. And the moment he started praying for him, the, the, the things, meters were going off the charts. And then the person got healed right there, and he had the power to be able to walk in and pray for this person then get healed in the eyes of doctors, baffling them, blowing their mind. That's the sort of power. It's not a power that we, we can believe for, to, for someone to be healed, amen? But there's a difference between us all praying weekly for the same person to be healed and knowing without a shadow of a doubt that the moment you lay hands on someone, that person is going to be healed and there's going to be no second way about it. And John G. Lake was one of those people that believed that. He went to pray for one person, and that person didn't get healed. He ended up staying, I think it was around, a, a whole day one day, and then came back a half a day the next day until that person was healed. He prayed and prayed and prayed because he knew, I'm going to stand on the promise that Jesus gave me. This person will graze and get off his sickbed. And he stayed there. And if he had to pray 12 hours one day and another six hours the next, that's exactly what he did. You know, I think in, in that sense we give up too quick in, in a lot of cases. <clears throat> so he prayed. Remember, Paul prayed that our hearts would be enlightened in order that we'd know the hope to which he has called us. He prayed that we'd be enlightened in order um, to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the power of God that was exerted in Christ and raised him from the dead. That's the power available to true Christians. If we don't have that power, let's start praying for it. Let's start believing God can actually empower us to this degree. A power to overcome the impossible. The power to exert the Christian influence into the heavenlies and send the demons of hell reeling back into the pit and see the powers that be thwarted in their purposes. 
That's the power that you can shut the mouths of demons, casting demons out of people that you know have demon possession, which psychiatry and psychologists have come along and given them a scientific name and drugged them. That's the power. If I was to tell you that behind the government, which we see each day through the media, that there is a shadow government which controls everything and that every decision that is made was made already by these secret society elitists, would you think I was crazy if I said that? That nothing that of, of major importance, no decision that is made has been made. We, we think we vote in a government. Come on, man. We don't vote in a government. The government's already decided. They don't leave it in the hands of the people. It's too much at stake to be left in the hands of the people. We might vote in local governments, I don't know. But you know what, even if just say, for example, that we did vote in a government, that government is still controlled by these secret society leaders. Still controlled. If I was to tell you that these men who have been called Illuminists are actually high-level Freemasons and scum and bonesmen, and are Luciferians, and they worship Satan and do his bidding, would you think I was crazy? I don't think anyone here necessarily does think I'm crazy. But that's who we're dealing with. We're dealing with Luciferians. Secret society elitists. They have this way of thinking that they are above us. Now, Satan has been closing the minds of Christians and non-Christians alike for centuries, and because of this, he has managed to effectively disarm and disable all opposition to his plans. Most people think that the rulers of this world would not harm them or inflict injury upon us for no reason. You know, they, we, we, we think that these secret society people are like us. Like, if I, if I had the power, you know, to control the world, I would want to do some good to the world, Right? But that's the reason I wouldn't be in control of the world, because Satan controls the world, right? So the people that get control of the world are the people that flow with his agenda. You know, if you want to be, and, and let's look at our culture, if you want to be a rock star today, you would not allow a true, holy Christian band to become, you know, high and mighty in the eyes of the people. You would give it to someone like ACDC. Let's sing about hell. Let's sing about following Satan. Do you know what I mean? You would raise those types of bands up. You wouldn't, wouldn't raise up Christians or at least people that will do good to each other. You know? Actually, I'll change that. I'll rephrase that because some of these people will go and do good. Remember I said last week, you know, doing good works doesn't get you into heaven. A serial killer can help a little old lady cross the road and do a good work. That doesn't mean he's a good person. That doesn't mean he's holy. You know, we can still do good works. Now, there is something that I want you to just to think about. Edmund Spencer, he said this. He said, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is condemnation before investigation. How many people today you talk to about anything remotely like this, they condemn it without a second thought. They condemn it without investigating it. And I think that will keep you in everlasting ignorance, and I agree with Edmund Spencer in every way there. We must not condemn before we investigate. And, uh, and, and that's also saying, investigate everything I'm saying, because I need your help in this. We all need each other's help in this. We've got to keep each other honest. Iron sharpening iron, as it were. As I was talking about before, that we would not harm someone. You know, our heart is not to harm people. But this is not the case among the world elite rulers. Um, they are now promulgating that the world is dreadfully overpopulated and in response are implementing population control programs to reduce the population of the earth from 6 billion down to 500 uh, million. That's the Georgia Guidestones. Um, we were talking about that last week, Andrew. And they want to, in the Georgia Guidestones, it says to maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature, which is what Rockefeller and all of these secret society leaders plan to do. Right? Is that fitting in the scripture? 
In the last days, we're going to see the population of the world dramatically reduced. You know, but I, I think they're intending to do it a little bit different than maybe the way uh, God will allow it to happen. But um, what we got is these people don't like the fact that there's so many of us on the planet. You know, so when you hear of plagues and things you know taking place and viruses that are killing and you know and knocking people off, you've got to wonder. You know, is it a natural thing or is it a man-made thing? Just check that out. I'm just putting it out there. Now let's go to, to this. I don't know if anyone can see that. It's all look a bit small. Now I want you to understand that right down the bottom here is the truth, pure doctrine, and it's Jesus Christ. Right? You could say that we're in that little circle, but what I want you to see is just how Satan is working at um, sort of like coming against the church in so many ways. Like the first level out from that would be churches that teach seeker-sensitive prosperity gospel messages, once saved, always saved. Um, they're carnality-based. They don't stand against sin. Uh, they, it's sort of what you would call a pagan Christianity. Um, they worship Mary, some of them. You know, all of those kinds of doctrines that are in the church has watered down the effectiveness effectiveness of the gospel. Now what most of us here would have had to do is to shake off a lot of that stuff to enter into the truth. We'd have to shake off a lot of doctrines that have been taught in churches for many, many years. Now if you step outside of that, you've got another realm, which is the uh, Christian cults, the JWs, the Jehovah's Christian Delphians, Mormons, um, Christian science, which is not Christian nor science, and uh, emergent church teachings, um, Joe Schickel does a great one on the emergent church, which is this new wave of church that's just emerged, you know, in recent years. So he's, he's done a video called um, Submerging Church. It'd be good for you to check that out. So that also is affecting people's uh, vision or view of, of the church. So this is what people have to go through. Think about this. This is what people have to go through to get to find Christ. All these layers disorientate people, make people confused, and you can, you can really identify with them and say, I understand why you don't want to be part of the church, because if that's what you've come to you know, think the church is, you know, I wouldn't want it either. But as you step out from that, you've got uh, the world religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Baha'i, Taoism, Neo-Atheism, uh, they love to not think of themselves as religious, but they do. They have a religion. It's called naturalism. And their genesis is evolution. Scientism, which is naturalism. Now, they're also... Now, why I put these layers is these layers have been set in place from the outer rim. The outer rim has control of the other things, except for the centre, the core, which is Jesus Christ. It's all coming against Jesus Christ. Now, if we go out further, we have Freemasonry, Skull and Bones, which is an organisation um, in America, I believe there's probably some in Australia, I'm not sure, but um, many of the American presidents have been Skull and Bonesmen, being uh, George Bush and George Bush Sr. were Skull and Bonesmen. Freemasons, uh, most of the others are Freemasons, so between the two groups, they've you know controlled America for many, many years. Um, the occult... Um, which is just a, a, a way of, like, if you go down into the markets and someone tries to read your fortune, you know, they're dabbling in their cult. Do you know how many Christians go and get their fortunes read? They turn to Satan to get their future read? It's unbelievable. Uh, the New Age, everyone's probably been aware of the New Age. Um, over the years, it's had a huge influence, and many Christians have got sucked away into the New Age because the spiritism and everything, it sounds sort of like what I believe, you know, and then they say, we believe in Jesus too. Oh, really? Okay, I'll, I'll come and join your group. They don't believe in Jesus, the God of the Bible. They believe in a Jesus or a Christ consciousness that you can attain to. You can become just like Jesus and you can actually go beyond Jesus. You know, it's not the Jesus of, of the Bible. Then you go even further, you've got witchcraft groups, and witchcraft is on a, has had a huge uh, revival in recent years, especially with Harry Potter and all those things that are out there. And if you, it, going right in with them is vampirism has had a revival um, with you know Twilight and all those vampire movies that have been made, been made for the last 20, 30 years. And in America alone, there's around 10,000 vampire covens. 
People go and drink blood. They don't eat food anymore. This is fair income. It's a real Aussie way of trying to convince you it's the truth. Fair income, actually. So Satanism is another one. So we've got witchcraft, Satanism, and the Church of Satan. Now, I've put there's, a, there's Satanism at this level, and then there's Satanism, Satanism. It's like crossing lizard with Satanism. Satanism. Anyway, yeah, so Satanism on the outer rim as well. Uh, the Satanism on the outer, outer rim is the true Luciferianism, which is they actually know Lucifer. They're in touch with him. They know the total uh, reality of his existence. Right? The Church of Satan, which a lot of, which is the popular Satanism, which you see in America, is the Satanism that um, you sort of, it's like a, an alternative to church. It's, a lot of them don't actually truly understand what they're involved in. But the outer rim ones, they know exactly what they're involved in. Um, so you have, of course, the Illuminati, um, who would be the, the controlling power of all of that. The Illuminati comes down to a group, and, and as far as I've researched, you can check me out, I'd like you to actually tell me more about this, is there's a council of 13, and among those 13 men, they control the entire earth. And it, the head is Satan himself, Satan incarnate, an anti, the Antichrist. Now, whether he's on the earth at the moment or not, he's a representative that's in place, and he has total control of the world through the Council of Thirteen, and then it builds out from there. You have the New World Order, which is uh, and the One World Religion, which has been spoken about. I've done a sermon called uh, "The Antichrist and the New World Order." I've spoken about that. That uh, world leaders for the last hundred years have been speaking very candidly about the New World Order, as it's a, a, a necessary evil to be set in place. Um, and with the one world religion, uh, it comes through ecumenicalism, which is the Pope has, this, uh, you know, he's opened arms to ecumenicalism, bringing all the, not only all the Christian religions together, or Christian denominations, but also all the world religions and making them all one and getting one sort of, I suppose, Messiah to them, which they would, in some respects, call, you know, it would be the Jesus to the Christians, it would be the 12th Imam to the Muslim, etc. Um, and that would be Satan himself, of course, because the whole world will bow down and worship the beast, it says. Its Pope is currently leading the greatest ecumenical movement in history in order to unite all religions under Rome's leadership. In 1986, Pope John Paul II gathered in Assisi, Italy, the leaders of the world's major religions to pray for peace. There were snake worshippers, fire worshippers, spiritists, animists, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, North American witch doctors. I watched in astonishment as they walked to the microphone to pray. The Pope said they were all praying to the same God and that their prayers were creating a spiritual energy that was bringing about a new climate for peace. John Paul II allowed his good friend the Dalai Lama to put the Buddha on the altar in St. Peter's Church in Assisi and with his monks to have a Buddhist worship ceremony there while Shintoists chanted and rang their bells outside. The prophesied world religion is in the process of being formed before our eyes and the Vatican is the headquarters of the movement. So we have ecumenicalism. Bilderberg groups, these are all different groups that have been set up, world leaders coming together to discuss the future of mankind. Round Table, Club of Rome, UN, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, who basically controls the, the supply of um, money in the world, you know. Uh, whole countries borrow from the IMF. Entire countries are in debt to the IMF. So in a sense, the debtor is... Uh, servant to the lender, and if the lender is owed money from every country in the world, who controls the country, or the world, and the country? It would be the IMF. So the IMF control many of the um, countries in this world. I think Saddam Hussein was one that stood against it, and that was what could be one of the reasons why he was asking. Okay, now, how does Satan do it? Conditioning mediums, what I call culture control. Control the culture. And how does he do it? He controls it through things like uh, the movie industry, the music industry, right? If you control the, the music, you can control the, the way people think because you, 
you sing the songs and they, they, they go into your brain and they become part of you, even if you don't know what you're singing, subconsciously it has an influence on you. Right, so they control it, of course, politically through a world government. Um, the UN was uh, one of the you know, early stages towards that, but it's going to be something even more powerful than the UN. The UN has really, is supposed to keep peace in the world, but it's never kept peace. Not once, I think, in its history. Uh, economically, through big business, like you can't become an owner of, the Woolworths, uh, of a Woolworths franchise unless you are a Freemason, things like that. Everyone in big business has to be connected in plugged into these secret society groups. Uh, religiously through ecumenicalism, you know, uh, uh, compromising your faith to absorb another faith or to accept another faith. Therefore, not being outspoken in the truth of what you believe, you water it down so you, you know, that's one of the teachings of the emerging church, actually. Which is, you know, uh, drawing in Pentecostal Christians who think, oh wow, this is a new way of approaching church, I like the way they do it, they all sit on couches and they have coffees in their head while they're listening to the sermon. Uh, environmentally, through environmental groups, etc. TV, media, we know that they have a big uh, job to do with propaganda and, you know, making us, through the news, the way it's presented, daily, daily, daily news, you start to believe everything they say. Um, so that really they can teach us whatever they want us to believe. And, you know, if we don't have any outside sources for reference, we'll just accept it blindly. Um, music industry, as I said before, that is a powerful medium. Powerfully controlling the masses. People's lives get changed at one rock and roll concert. They can walk into a rock and roll concert, an innocent person just, you know, really obedient to their parents, etc., etc. They walk out of that concert, they are no longer the kid that walked in there. They are now filled with some kind of demon and they're actually home, they're causing their parents, you know, absolute hell. You know, and next thing you know, they're having sex with multiple partners, etc., etc., because the, the, what these bands teach is that sort of a lifestyle. Um, movie industry, same thing. Movies have a huge influence on what we think. Even if we don't think they do, they do. Um, sport. Uh, I've heard conspiracy theorists say that sport was invented by the Illuminati to keep people from getting interested in politics so they can do whatever they want. You know, where prior to sport being around, people used to sit in, pub, in bars and stuff and talk about the latest policies that their government is trying to introduce. After sport got introduced, that got too boring to talk about, and so they talked about what their latest team did last week. You know, so that's a theory. I, I don't know how. If it can be substantiated, I'm sure it can. Science. You know, if you hear a really smart person stand up and tell you that evolution is the truth, you're going to believe it if you don't know anything else. And you know how many Christians have been converted from being Christian to atheism because of their science teacher? They're telling them this foolish theory that everything that is evolved from a single-celled amoeba, that single-celled amoeba had the power on it in itself without any... Uh, external forces present, even more except for, you know, nature, that little thing, you know, grew a spine, grew arms and legs, and it grew a partner who had a, an opposite reproductive system so they could combine, and then it crawled up out of the primordial suit, and it got a skin system, it got a nervous system, it got a circulatory system, it got all of those things, but suddenly it just came into that little single-celled amoeba, and the next thing you know, it's standing up, and it's got an intellect, and it can create its own things. Oh, this is garbage. Absolute garbage. Isn't it? It's so stupid. Yet people believe it. Why? Because some scientist, Richard Dawkins, with the English accent, right? Sorry, I've been mocking him. Well, he, is, he, he deserves it. He mocks us plenty. So, because Richard Dawkins teaches that people believe it, I should speak with an English accent. It might become more convincing. It would end up an Indian accent. <laughs> so, educationally, of course, the educational system is manipulated. Not in every way, you know, when you're getting taught pure maths, they're not playing with your brain, you know, one plus one still equals two, it's not that sort of education, but, you know, slowly it gets uh, taught to you different types and, and ways of thinking, and a lot of the time what the professor thinks and believes is what they teach. So if that professor doesn't believe in God and he's got a, you know, he's a follower of Nietzsche or whatever else, what's he going to teach you in your philosophy class? 
But if you get in a philosophy class with, you know, uh, William Lane Craig, what's he going to teach? You know, both philosophers, but they're going to come from a different angle. So you've got to be careful uh, from, about the education. Now, food, water, farming, air, I put those there because there's a huge conspiracy around that, which I'm not going to go into. But um, all I can say is that nothing in this world is untouched by Satan. He is getting into everything. Think about it this way. If, we are, if, if everything that we are is, comes from the food that we eat, wouldn't it be wise to put certain chemicals in food which dull our senses, you know, to keep us from waking up? So think about that. Anyway, and if the air we breathe can affect us through poisoning the air, if the water we drink can be poisoned, would you not do it? Would you not spend a, a fortune in pump, putting fluoride into our water systems and saying, oh, that's because we care about your teeth? But I buy toothpaste for that. So we have to spend all this money getting a filtration system that gets the fluoride out of our water. All right, so that's, that's uh, interesting, isn't it? So what I'm trying to do today is just help you to see it as a whole. And I think I sort of achieved it to a degree so you can see uh, what's going on. Now, I'm only a couple of pages into this long document here. I'll see if there's anything I should read just before I finish. I'll just read a few scriptures. Revelation 12.9 says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So the Bible tells us who this devil is. He leads the whole world astray. That's in the Bible. That's how he does it. What we just saw there, that's how he's leading the whole world astray. He's got this thing sewn up. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, let's look at that just quickly. It's against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world. So even, so, so these are the, the, those that elitists that we're talking about that control everything. That's the spiritual warfare. That's the battle. That is what the battle is. Now, this, I'm not teaching let's become crusaders and go and storm their houses. You know, let's rock up at Rothschild's mansion and break down his doors. That's not how we approach it. But we can pray, can't we? We can pray with wisdom. Pray against the influence of these powers. Because they're, they're really making things tough for all of us to get souls discipled. Because that is what the Great Commission is. You know, the Great Commission, I just want to let you know, it was not called the Great Option. It wasn't the Great Maybe One Day I Will Do It. It's called the Great Commission, and everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is called to disciple the nations. Amen? It's true. It's, it's what, what Jesus said. We must go out there and disciple the nations. It's what we're told to do. Uh, Matthew 18, 18. It says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Loose the Holy Spirit on the earth and bind Satan and what he's doing in Freemasonry circles, in skull and bone circles, through in the Illuminati, in the Council of 13, in all of those things. And Acts 26, 17 to 18 says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. This is what I feel is my commission and all of your commissions should be the same. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We are to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Okay, and how are we going to do that? Jesus or the New Testament. Did you know this whole book or the New Testament part of this book came from one theme message? There's had one 
singular message that uh, ran through, or, uh, Jesus preached it, John the Baptist preached it, all the disciples preached it, and Paul and everyone else in the New Testament preached the same theme message. Who knows what it was? Yeah, if anyone's been under my ministry for a while, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist came preaching it, Jesus came preaching it, the disciples were told to preach it, and Paul preached it. And of course, with salvation through the cross of Christ alone, through what Jesus did for us on the cross, that's the message that gets people uh, changed and transformed. That's the message that will reach this lost world. Any other message, any other approach to Christianity that ignores that theme and, and does not bring it into the message will just flounder. And that's what I think has happened in the church. We've, we've ignored the theme message of the New Testament. Amen? So there is salvation in no one else. Amen? Jesus is the rock of our time. Now, I could have gone a lot deeper into all of those topics. I just wanted to just, you know, show you uh, an outline of it. But Jesus is the rock. Amen? There's no one else that you can put your hope in. You name one other person that you could rest your hope in for salvation of your soul. There is none. Muhammad can't do anything for you. He died in Medina and his bones are still there. Or probably they might have degenerated now into dust. But he's still there. Buddha died. Buddha can't do it for you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And you can't do it for you. If you go into death, it says, never, don't be found dead without Jesus. If you enter into death, know that you can't do it alone. Actually, you know what? You really would be foolish to ignore Jesus throughout your life because doesn't Jesus come in and help you in your life? Helps you to get through tough times. He doesn't say there won't be tough times. He helps you get through them. If you just keep your eye on him, what does he do? He balances out your mind. He balances out your heart. He opens up possibilities for you, you know, if, you, if you're needing help in your job situation, you ask him, Lord, I need, I need help to get a good job. And he'll open up doors for you. But don't go praying for a Porsche. You know, don't go praying that for a million dollars. Stupid. Just ask God to help you in everyday things. And he does that. Right? So if you ignore Jesus, who can just bless you in every area of your life, right through to death and beyond, he will, and, and death really is just a transition. That's why the early church always called those who died in Jesus, they just called it sleep. It was always considered sleep. It might have been a painful sleep for some as they went into it, but the moment they died, it was just, their bodies were sleeping until the resurrection. That's the way they approached it. And so should we. Anyone who dies without Jesus, that's death. That's death. That's eternal death. And you don't want to be there. All right? Amen. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. Hebrews 12.2. This is for, the, for us who believe. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Follow Jesus. Live for Jesus. Read his word. Pray to him. Seek him. Live for him. Look for opportunities to witness. Ask for divine uh, encounters with people. Ask him every morning, Lord, just put someone across my path that I can help, help lead to Jesus. Amen? Or at least sow a seed into their life. And hopefully that seed will grow if you keep on praying for that person. Amen? All right. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we uh, thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that uh, uh, everyone here... Uh, got something from it, got something to take home, something to consider and think about uh, to, you know, uh, go home as food for thought, things to look up and investigate. But Lord, as I said uh, during the sermon, let it not be our primary focus. Let you be our primary focus. Let the word of God and what, what your words uh, and the way you said them and what they mean, let that be our primary focus so that our life be changed and transformed. And may these things be 
uh, a, side, a side note that we look at from time to time to help us to keep us, uh, in a sense, sober as Christians. Understanding the times, understanding the reality uh, that, that Satan exists as well. And that Satan is out there. He's the enemy, enemy of our soul and every soul out there. And that, Lord, we need to know about these things so that we can pray against them and help people to come to know you as Lord and Saviour. So, Lord, I pray your blessing over every single person here, that their life will be uh, just taken to a new level this week in you, that they will uh, find this week just an absolutely amazing week as you just open up so much to them by the, uh, through the Holy Spirit. So just bless everyone now and uh, bless us as we uh, have fellowship together. May we have a great time of fellowship, Lord, um, and may you just uh, knit us all together in the sense of uh, build us like a church with living stones. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. You're on. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.